0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So, if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com.
1: This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. On this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, Houndsman XP continues its campaign for March, which we are calling HXP's March for Bear Hunters. A lot of organizations are hosting their annual conventions this month. Michigan Bear Hunters, uh, UP Bear Hunter Houndsman Association, APA Breed Days, Wisconsin Bear Hunters, and the list goes on. New Mexico is having a Houndsman Association events down there along with several state organizations that are going to uh, be holding their annual field trials and stuff once the spring hits here. So make sure you're paying attention to that and you go support those organizations. Even if you're not gonna participate, uh, a lot of times they'll have raffles and different things surrounding that, and all those organizations are trying to stand up and fight for your rights to and your freedoms to be able to free cast hounds in your state. So make sure that you are participating in those state organizations and help them uh, keep the funds rolling in because money talks. In this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, specifically, we're going to have Kevin Hall with Dogs Are Treed back on the mic. Kevin was with us before, and uh, he's the one that writes the Long Walker story, and we're going to cover all of that, but we are going to talk about gearing up for spring bear season. Several of the western states have spring bear seasons, and uh, the, the guys back here in the east, well, we just want to get out and train some dogs and uh, keep them rolling. So, we're going to talk about how to gear up, prepare dogs, prepare yourselves, a lot of good topics here. During this March for Bear Hunters, Dogs Are Treated is offering a special code that you enter at checkout it's HXP Bear. And you will get 25% off your entire cart when you use that code. And 10% of that sale and all March sales at Dogs Are treat are coming back here to Houndsman XP to help us keep the lights on around here. Also, don't forget to check out our friends over at DU Supply, W Hunting Supply, du Supply.com. Our t-shirts are still there, our decals are still there, and when you order that gear getting ready for spring bear season go ahead and round up with one of our t-shirts and uh, slap on those decals on your dog box take a picture of it and share it on our social media pages with us we love to hear from you you can find us on facebook at houndsman xp podcast and on instagram at houndsman underscore xp underscore podcast one last shout out before we get to this interview check out freedom hunters Freedom Hunters is an organization that takes America's heroes on hunting adventures. Freedom Hunters is run by our friend Anthony Pace. They've been on this podcast before. We have partnered with Freedom Hunters to take veterans on hound hunting adventures. This is a perfect opportunity for us to take people who may not be familiar with who we are and what we do and introduce them to the houndsman lifestyle. Show them what we're all about and we can show them a good time and a good experience and then we have made made another layer of protection for us. All these guys are patriots, they vote and they will voice their opinion and by you taking a veteran hunting or a group of veterans hunting then you can help spread the message that hound hunting is conservation and it is good wildlife management. So make sure you're checking out Freedom Hunters at FreedomHunters.org. Now, without any further delay, let's get to the podcast. Houndsman XP fans, we've got an old friend on the podcast today. We've got uh, Kevin Hall of Dogs Are Treed. And uh, Kevin, you've seen his brand on our social media pages, uh, dogs are a Treat and plot dogs several times. Kevin is, and uh, Nancy have become very good friends of Houndsman XP, and I want to welcome you back,
0: Kevin. How are you today? I'm doing great this morning, Chris. Thanks. It's privileged to be back on the show.
1: Oh yeah, and you did so well the first time uh, that you were on here that that uh, the the fans have been asking for you by name
0: oh (laughs) okay (laughs) well that's a uh, that's a compliment we'll take that as a compliment
1: oh absolutely absolutely kevin there's a Mm -hmm. there's a lot of thing a lot of things you're doing right now uh you know you've got you're busy with uh your your dogs are tree brand and your plot dogs brand uh there's a lot of good things coming from those two brands and and uh but uh the long walker that's what you've really kind of built this audience around here lately is, is you're riding with a long walker. How's that going?
0: It's, it's going really well. It's, it's captured quite a following. I get a lot of compliments about that and people are interested. And, and I always try to leave a bit of a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter to keep people interested. And, and I think people kind of enjoy that. Um, they've reacted well to it. Um, it's, it's been enjoyable for me to, reminisce a lot of these stories and try to put them down so, and those
1: are all those are all factual i mean fact-based uh, it's kind of like all watching based
0: on something that actually happened yeah either yeah. Uh, a person's places or things that you're close to me in one way or the other yeah you, so, you know last
1: um, last week's podcast was with clay newcomb and uh steve and we talked about storytelling and you're you're definitely capitalizing on on storytelling and uh taking that's quite a talent to take a um an actual event that happened and then build a story around it i mean movie producers do it all the time and look what look what impact it has
0: yeah yeah and the the interesting thing is that it's not hard to do really because you just got to lay out what actually happened um, and and so it actually can kind of come quite easy for you. If anybody else is interested in trying something like that, it's not as difficult as you might think. Um, and the the interesting thing about this is there it's all fact based, but then there's a lot of connective tissue between the stories that are somewhat imaginary, you know, that but but possible, you know, what well, not not out of the realm right. of possibility and stuff. So that's kind of fun. You know, you can kind of let your imagination run wild a little bit with some of these things and uh and so it's um you know nobody can really hold you to the fire on any of it, right <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's part, part imaginary, you know, so, so it's you know to do,
1: as we sit here and we have this discussion, I'm looking at my bookshelf, and I see a book called the Frontiersman, and Alan, Alan Eckert wrote that book, he wrote several books, but the frontiersman especially uh is probably one of his best known works, and uh that is a historical uh, fiction novel. So he took the actual life of Simon Kenton and Daniel Boone and um, Jacob Gradehouse and different people from right here in the region that I live in the Ohio River Valley, northern Kentucky area, and took those personalities and then built this novel around it. And there's no way that Alan Eckert could. could recall or document or anything else, the conversations in this novel, but, uh, it was more than likely pretty accurate of what, what would have been talked about surrounding these events. So is that kind of what you're doing with the long Walker?
0: Yeah, it is. It is. As far as the production schedule, we'd like to have it wrapped up by Labor Day weekend. So these people have been asking, when's the book coming out? When's it coming out? You know? And so that's kind of the timeline that we're shooting for. Great. Great. So we're winding it down, but there's some great stories to come. And I've got the ending in mind already with a series of about three chapters that I'll tie in together. And it's going to involve, you know, some some local houndsman and a famous dog. And, of course, our featured cat, you know, that's like the hero. And it's got a villain government hunter involved in it. And that's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah. You know, I'm excited to get to that.
1: Are you saying out. that the government about hunter is I, the villain?
0: Well, he's got a different agenda, you know, okay. than the houndsmen okay. do. You know, the houndsmen are just into this because it's an exciting adventure and they want to see if they can catch these cats in the summertime. You know, they, they never really had any intention of killing cats for him, but, but they, they were interested in the challenge of trying to catch these summertime um, sheep-killing lions. Well, they found right. themselves in an awkward situation because they got good at it. Yeah. you know they actually were going out and consistently started to catch cats in the summertime because they came up with a strategy that that worked for them and so you well know, don't
1: spoil it. it for us i'm
0: i i don't no. to spoil well, this no, thing no. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so uh, we excited about about getting it to that point
1: i'm excited to, i can't wait to to see it hopefully i can get a little sneak peek
0: you're oh, gonna do it yeah you're gonna get a sneak Maybe an autograph copy yeah
1: oh, yeah now we're talking. Now we're talking. You, you know the thing about these hound hound books is, if you look at them, you look at uh, the work by Del Cameron or you work look at the work of uh, uh, the Dale Lee, and and those books are valuable now. If you try to find those books on on uh, Amazon or or anywhere anywhere you can buy a book, you know they're three hundred dollars. And I just purchased Van Johnson's book. And finished it within three days. I mean, it was it's a complete mm-hmm. book. It was just it just draws you in and you read it. Um but I think Van Johnson's book is gonna be that that type of book soon too.
0: Good. I ordered it myself as well. So hopefully by the time this airs I've had a chance to read it.
1: Once you I think once you get yeah. into it you'll you'll tear through it. I really do.
0: Yeah. I, I really enjoyed the podcast, by the way. That was a that was a great story and he told it really well.
1: Yeah, he's he's an entertaining guy and, yeah. and uh yeah. When we get back on the Navajo next next uh this fall, we'll we'll definitely hook up with with Van and uh try to sit down with him and and meet him and and get to know him better.
0: Yeah, that'd be great.
1: He's a man I, when you read his book and and after you talk to him, you can tell that he's a man of high character. So, mm-hmm. he's the type of people we like to be around.
2: There you go. Yeah,
1: there you go. Well, hey, we are t- here to talk about bear hunting. March is Bear Hunters Month at Houndsman XP and uh, living in the state of Idaho and hunting plots and bear hunting for a number of years. And the fact that you were such a good guest, we wanted to have you back on to talk to you about bear hunting, uh, specifically in Idaho, but but talk about some, some uh, things about what you look for in hounds and and your strategies for hunting bear a lot of people are going to be gearing up for uh, bear season spring bear seasons and spring training seasons and carry it right on into the fall so steve and i decided it would be real timely to do a uh, series on bear hunting in the month of march not to mention the fact that Michigan Bear Hunters hold a convention this month. Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association holds their annual convention. Steve, as we speak, is on the road to the UP Bear Houndsmen Association. And we've got APA, the American Plot Association Breed Days, down in Greenville, Tennessee, all occurring in the month of of March. So there's a lot of activity surrounding bear hunting. And we want to showcase some bear hunters and talk to some bear hunters about how they're hunting where they're hunting gearing up for you know what they do to gear up for bear season and things like that so you think you're up for that
0: yeah i'm up for that yeah bear hunting is exciting i enjoy bear hunting more than lion hunting actually i you know it's um it's shifted back and forth you know over the years sometimes i've been primarily a lion hunter and a part-time bear hunter and then at other times it's uh, more bear hunting than lion hunting it just Kind of depends on what the lion population is actually and what's going on at the time. But um, you can't beat the bear hunting as far as the level of excitement. And you know, you got the nicer weather and the longer days and you know, good camping conditions and whatnot. And generally, it's a lot easier to involve a lot more people in a hunt with bear hunting than it is with lion hunting. And so it can, it's just a real enjoyable experience. And, and the level of excitement's just, it's just limitless it's it's uh when you get dogs baited up on a bear on a hot race you know a walking fighting bear um and you know they're down in the hollow down below you and just rocking that canyon it's uh it's something that you know every houndsman dreams of and uh and it, it's what keeps you going that's for sure yeah so i really enjoy the bear hunting well there's uh there, that, you know, there's... It'll, be, it'll be right around the corner yeah people are gearing up for it so when, do you,
1: when do you guys start your spring bear season there in idaho
0: well generally you know there's there's slight variations in the uh, unit by unit statewide but typically everything opens up in april april 1st or april 15th is when the general season's open and the kill seasons run on into uh about mid-june to late june depending on the units um now it's April 15th for us but it's seldom that you're in the woods by April 15th because of the snowpack. So when you actually get started all depends on your access to the hills. There's a lot of times that we don't get even to our areas to put bait out until after Mother's Day, which is, you know, around the 5th of May or so. Mm. And then it's a couple 3 weeks before You know, the bears start to really get active. So it can be Memorial Day weekend before things start to really get going. But that's kind of a key time, you know, in in my neck of the woods. From Memorial Day weekend on, things just change. And it just really picks up. Boars are moving around. The breeding season is on. And, you know, they've gone through their, you know, their digestive phase of, you know, getting their, uh, you know, their hibernating uh, digestive system cleaned out and now they're into eating real food, you know, so they're, yeah, it's harder and moving around more. And, uh, right after Memorial day, things pick up. And it's the prime time is pretty much the whole month of June and on into maybe 4th of July. But after 4th of July, things just start getting so hot that, it um, it changes things a bit. And then by about July 15th to 20th, the huckleberries come on. And once there you, you go. Come on, it, it really changes everything. The bears are all in different places. You you'll still find them, but you won't find them on your base anymore. You got to go find huckleberries. So it shifts your strategy. And things change right there at um, about July twentieth. It seems. So you know, I was
1: am- I was really amazed. Oh. Uh, I was just gonna say I was amazed by the uh, the culture surrounding huckleberries, especially up towards Kalispell, Montana. Uh, when I was out there recently, there were, there were places that were advertising huckleberry jellies and jams and, and, uh, I eat huckleberry pie and, and a whole different, uh, uh different aspect that I really never paid attention to previously when I was, when I was out in your neck of the woods, that's for sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah
1: so we see a lot more
0: productivity after the kill season closes um we're lucky because like um, the kill season will close um around mid-june and um there's a lot less hunting pressure there's less bear hunting activity in the woods because the you know the bait hunters are done you know they're not out uh more so their baits have all dried up and so then the hound dogger baits are the only game in town for the bears so things kind of pick up about that well
1: that's an in interesting topic. You guys allow baiting. Are there any other states around you right there that are allowing baiting for bears? Does Utah allow baiting?
0: I can't speak for that. Okay. To tell you the truth, accurately, yeah, yeah, well, I'm not sure, but I know you know Idaho is one of the few states that allow it. Um, that allow everything. I mean, we've got spot and stock hunting, and there's incidental hunting, you know, that overlap the deer and elk seasons and there's <clears throat> bait hunting and there's hound hunting and we've got spring hunting and we've got fall hunting and we've got a summer pursuit only season so you know idaho fortunately for us we've, we've still got it all so yeah we're, you know, very fortunate that way so america yeah that's right yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> here yeah and we've got a good fishing game commission and a good culture you know at the state house too that going to kind of keep it that way for a while
1: yeah you guys just uh passed passed a a rule about the wolf harvest out there which was kind of taking social media by storm but it's got a lot of people across the west that are are uh taking notice and it's got its opposition and and different things like that but from my from where i sit it looks like idaho is kind of sitting back and saying hey this is our resource and we're going to manage it at the state level, like it was intended to be managed. And we really don't care what you think. And I applaud yep. Idaho for
0: that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Same here. Yep. Yeah. That was refreshing to see. That's good. Yeah. Hopefully it so, has an impact.
1: <laughs> I, and we'll get into bear dogs and, and, and gearing up for, for bear season and some of the things you do, but real quick, I want to talk about this baiting issue because uh, it, it recently came under attack. There's a couple things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the baiting issue and then I want to talk about, uh, another topic and then we'll get into this other stuff, but it recently came under attack and was challenged in the ninth circuit out there in Missoula, Montana for baiting on, on national forest and BLM lands. Is that accurate?
0: Yes, it is. Yeah. But they backed off and, uh, and they determined that that, that that would be a decision made by the individual states. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, that was a win. That was a win for us. Yeah. And uh, get on there again, like all these others, it wasn't, there wasn't any biological reason for the, any of that. It was just another ploy by the antis and the left to, to cut into a, a piece of the pie on on a hunting opportunity. That's all it was. They still would have allowed it on private lands, but not on public lands, which pretty well shuts it down.
1: Right. You know, their argument was it was all surrounded around the grizzly bear and talking about hunters that were having incidental kills off of off of baits. And there are only two times that you're ever going to get a better uh, – there are, there are no more than two times that you're going to get the best look at a bear. One is when you're sitting there on a bait and you're hunting a, a bait – you can you can absolutely look at that bear and know a lot of stuff about that bear this you can sex the bear you can get an idea how big the bear is whether it's a healthy bear you know you can really evaluate the value of managing the resource when you can when you can sit there and look at a bear and montana i know has a, a bear identification course that you have to take online prior to even purchasing a bear license and then um Uh, So that that makes it irrelevant, not to say that a mistake can't happen, but it is highly unlikely. And the other time is when you have a bear treed. You know, you're pursuing with hounds, and that's true for, for bobcats, lions. And so that's why it's so important to keep hound hunting, baiting, things like that on in the management plan because they're valuable tools. It's not, it's not just a way for us to harvest more bear. The professionals in this business know that that is a valuable tool to manage this resource.
0: That's absolutely true. You know, in mean, here in Idaho, there's already protections as far as grizzly bears. Um, where grizzly bears are common in the greater Yellowstone area, there isn't baiting allowed in those units and a few units adjacent to that. So that they've already managed in a buffer to prevent, you know, bear bait conflicts with grizzlies, you know, as far as the state of Idaho. So that seems to be working out pretty well. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what you don't want to bait where there's grizzlies. We we did. Uh we used to uh hunt the it's called the island park area and uh as the number of grizzlies expanded when when they come in on your bait it's just devastating. They come in and just wipe you out completely and crush your barrels and eat all your food and dig <laughs> these huge excavations all around the bait. Um, it was, um, there was like a sow and a couple of, of, of yearling grizzlies that had moved in on us one time. And there was eight or nine of these excavations all dug around the tree, you know, at, at our bait site where they just camped out on it. Yeah. You know, and of course, they're going to run your black bears off. You know, black bears aren't right. going to tolerate that, you know, so it pretty well drove us out of that area um just, let, me ask, know, let me ask let me ask you this question real quick in that and the wolves yeah
1: yeah let me ask you this question yeah. so will a grizzly bear you say they camp out on your bait will they camp out yeah. on that like they will a kill and be protective of it
0: well we never had that happen but uh, they were definitely camped out there yeah you know they they'd set up shop you know and they'd made it part of their their route you know to come back in and check on that mm-hmm. and they got real comfortable with the site and i i don't know enough about grizzly biology, but I assume that those excavations and those beds, you know, uh, had meant something of permanence to them and probably a signal to all the other bears in the area that this is my spot. And uh, at least that's the way we took it.
2: Right. Right.
0: (laughs) 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 We're going to move on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, they're not going to tree. You know, if you get on one by accident, they're not going to tree. You're just going to end up with this long drawn-out, Walking day up, you know, until it's over, and uh, yeah, we we don't want that.
1: So uh, there's all kinds of rabbit paths we can we go down it. with. Yeah, there's all kinds of rabbit paths we can yeah. go down on. You know, hounds on grizzlies and and uh, brown bears. Our friends over in Norway and uh, Sweden, I know that they're in Russia. They still they still hunt bears, brown bears with yeah. with dogs. That that puts a whole different spin on on bear hunting when you got to pull dogs off a brown bear wow right
0: yeah That mm-hmm. close quarters of course it's always close quarters yeah when you're doing that mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah well let's talk about a uh, let's talk about this spring gear up for uh uh bear hunting kevin i, kn- I know that uh everybody has got their own Things that they th- their own list of things they go through getting ready for bear season, starting with the anticipation, you know, and then and then getting things geared up for bear season. So, is there anything specific you do with with uh, your dogs prior to bear season?
0: Well, they just got to be in shape. That's the biggest thing is is just conditioning program. You know, have your dog on a good nutritional program and a good conditioning program, and, and start with dogs that are in shape would be the biggest thing well let um, me let me, i'll
1: yeah, put one put out there that well, they can do okay, to get so ready that. yeah uh, so they can listen to the uh, houndsman xp podcast on feeding for performance and nutrition
0: with dr, yeah. dr. arley reynolds. reynolds that would be a good place to stop, yeah, that's, start that's excellent yeah and if anybody's on here that hasn't listened to that one i think it was episode 34 if i'm not mistaken but you can go back through all the episodes and you'll find it um it's excellent on on feeding your dogs and nutrition and keeping your dogs hydrated, there's some extremely valuable tips and insights in there that are science-based. And, and I've been using a lot of that as far as uh, preconditioning my dogs prior to a hunt, pre-hydrating them, and then post-hydrating them after a hunt. I got my jugs labeled like pre-workout and post-workout, you know, to make it easier for me. But um, <laughs> that's the difference since I've started using it. The dogs just recover better, and they just stay they just seem to stay healthier and I don't know maybe it's in my mind, I don't know but i i I think that it's working and I will find out more during bear season because the hydration has it's a it's a bigger deal during bear season of course than it would be during lion season, so we'll be putting that to the test, but that was an excellent podcast on well, nutrition hydration for your dogs excellent mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah, and uh. It's probably so not, your, your. it's probably not.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. It is a big thing. And, and I would say it's not in your mind, Kevin, because Dr. Early Reynolds has got this old tag behind his name that says PhD. So, um, right. He, right. and, and he's got real world experience with those sled dogs and things like that. So, um, uh, he talks about the value of, of feeding a consistent diet year round, but, but. People can go back. It's actually episode 31. They can listen to Arlie Reynolds there. 31. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you had said something. You said something that was going to be a segue here. Uh, we'll have to move on. It'll come back to me. So, conditioning. You're conditioning your well, dogs.
0: conditioning what a- is roding. Uh, roading. roading. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, you can't ever get them to bear hunting shape through roding, but you can sure as heck give them a good head start. There, There is a difference. But... But uh, typically, I'm lucky. I live right across from BOM Motorized Vehicle Recreation, um, site. And it's got it's just all sagebrush hills with, oh, maybe from the bottom to the top, there's maybe 2,000 feet of elevation. But they've cut in ATV trails up and down almost every ridge and every bottom. And there's just endless combinations of loops that I can make, rode in my dogs behind the four-wheeler up in there. And I can road them, you know, anywhere from three miles to 11 or 12 on any given day, just depending on how much time I've got to go, you know? So I like to, I like to take them over there and run them at least twice a week, if not three times a week. Um, you got to start out slow, you know, so that you don't blow a pad and you got to just be like starting a new conditioning program for yourself. You know, you, you want them to be there right away, but they won't. But after 10 trips like that, you know, giving them anywhere from just three to eight miles, it makes a huge difference.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: built, that muscle tone will come back and the feet will toughen up and and they just get more gamey. And, uh, you know, for me, it's also an opportunity for trash breaking, you know, because there's a few deer and moose up in there and whatnot, too. So, So, you know, you're out working the dogs and it's all good, but it takes time. You got to figure about six weeks, at least six weeks of condition mm-hmm. I do, anyway, to get to where I feel like I'm ready. So about about time change, about when the clocks change here, which is around like March 21st or so, is when I start. So that by you know late April I'm ready, first part of May, and then just continue continue on through. And then once you're hunting them, you know they don't need it as much, because then you you know hopefully you're getting enough races while you're hunting but you know, those days in between you can use for rest cycles. But, uh, you know, it's one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen with guys that show up to go bear hunting with you and say it's the 1st of June. And they want to go hunting with you and their dogs are out of shape. Well, right. by the time they can get their dog in shape, the season's over. You know, they've missed the curve already. Mm-hmm. And so Getting that dog at a proper weight and uh, and, a, and a baseline of conditioning is the biggest thing. As far yeah. as, you know, and then of course, you know, you got to have all your equipment ready. You know, you know, new batteries in your tracking collars. If you're running the old beep beep collars that you can change a battery in, or you know, just general equipment maintenance. Just be ready for the start because it's kind of like going into a battle. You're going to see a lot of stuff. You're going to see broken and chewed up antennas and batteries failing and and <laughs> one yeah, thing it's and good. You know, to- it's good so, to
1: have some of that stuff on hand for in the field maintenance for yeah, sure.
2: It is.
0: Well, you said... and, and for your vehicles as well, you know. You know, if you, I don't know, I, I see a lot of guys head into the woods unprepared, you know, no shovels, no chains, you know, no chainsaw, no tow straps, you no know, things like that, and that might that's probably I know that's basic to the majority of guys that are listening to this, but yet you run into a lot of people out there that need help and really all they need was a tow. And um, do you have a toe strap? No. Well, <laughs> okay. We'll use mine. <laughs> uh, just little things, you know, that a guy, just it, general outdoorsman things, you know. Sure. To the choir here. I know that. But you'd be surprised that how many yeah. people are not prepared when they set out, you know. Right. And I'll tell you a big thing while I'm thinking about it. Um, I went to a Garmin Inreach a couple years ago because I was doing a lot of hunting by myself. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's a whole nother subject, actually, to talk about is hunting alone but um, I use a Garmin inReach, and that's just been wonderful, and that's that's something that everybody ought to have, because um, no matter where you're at, you can get a text message out to somebody, you know, to through to the satellite on that, and uh, it, it sure makes it nice in case you do get hung up and you've got a problem. At least you you're not alone. You can still communicate with somebody, even if it's you know, sending a message to your wife and just saying, Hey, I'm going to be late. You know, I got stuck. And I'm going to be late, but don't worry. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make it. Something like right. that. It, it sure made Nancy's um, outlook on my hunting alone a lot better because she doesn't worry about me so much because she can actually track me on her phone as well at the same time in real time. And she can see where I'm at and she can see if I'm still moving around, you know, going up and down canyons or. Or if I've stopped on the road and I'm hiking, so she knows, oh, he's hiking at something, so he must have uh, got a race going or something, and so she can kind of see what's going on.
1: And she's doing that off the inReach?
0: Yeah, she's doing it off the inReach. Yeah. She just logs into my account on the inReach, and she can see where I'm at in real time.
1: You know, that's something that...
0: tracks me as well, and it's nice. It's kind of comforting when you're out there to know that, you know, somebody's kind of watching you. At least you think maybe she is. But anyway, right. but anyway, but anyway, that you can reach out, you know, if something bad happens. What worries me more than anything is like falling and breaking your leg. Right. You know, now you've got a problem. You know, you're going into shock and you can't get yourself out. You know, what are you going to do? And right. um, when you're by yourself, but and with that in reach, you can reach out and and uh, you know the effort to come get you is not a search and rescue. It's just a rescue because they know where you're at already. So you know nice. it could be but, you know, it's something
1: uh, that the eastern the uh-huh. eastern houndsman probably doesn't think about enough. You know, our country back here isn't as big as, as what you're hunting out there. However, it still gets cold, and it's still – I've been colder in Bear Branch, Indiana at 35 degrees than I have in Idaho at zero. Uh, the climate's different and things like that. And, and we're just yeah. talking about – we're talking about uh, – you know, blowing a knee out or, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever, ever had, you know, snapped an Achilles tendon or, Mm -hmm. or strained one that can hamper, that can shut you down and, and put you in danger at that point. So, you know, some things that, um, things, some basic things that, uh, and we're trying to bridge the gap here because the, the beauty of having a podcast is, People back, back east can take ideas from guys out west, and guys out west can hear what guys in the east are doing and then share yep. information through the podcast and say, hey, I never thought about that. You know, the main thing around here, the the, the, the main rule of thumb for bear hunting in the east is don't leave the truck without your radio. Uh, mm-hmm. A tip, mm-hmm. Typical bear hunt in the east is is not normally done by yourself. Uh, there are people that do hunt by themselves here, but typical eastern bear hunt, there there's a group of people there. You're communicating on um, on ham radio or, or some private radio channel, and you've got a handheld portable, and when you leave the truck, you make sure you take that, that radio with you and you can communicate. Mm-hmm. But I've seen radio communications fail, it, both in my professional life, law enforcement for 28 years. I've seen it fail there, and I've seen it fail in the woods or on the mountain. So that it, Garmin Inreach is a good option that that people ought to at least investigate and look into for sure.
0: Yeah, Mm-hmm. yeah, you pay a monthly subscription for it, and uh, kind of like you know your X program and whatnot, and um, but it's not terribly expensive. And uh, yeah, just have the peace of mind of knowing you can reach out when you don't have phone service. It just gives you a lot of peace of mind. I've been a lot bolder about some of the things I've done and some of the places I've gone just because of it. And just just felt more at ease. So, yeah, yeah, been-
1: and, and and it's still legal legal to drive with the Garmin InReach. Most of the time, when I've done things that were made me bolder, it usually wasn't legal for me to drive afterwards.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> another subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a yeah. rabbit path. The dark side. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. me too
1: but anyway Uh,
0: so yeah so you got equipment yeah and you got you know you might you might also consider conditioning for yourself you know and i don't know how many times i've been roading my dogs i got my dogs in great shape and i'm thinking i need to be out there on the road with them instead of sitting here on this four-wheeler you know um so conditioning for yourself can be a big deal uh anything you can do to you know shed those couple of pounds or You know, build up your lung capacity and get a little strength in your legs is going to be a benefit down the road. Especially the couple of guys I hunt with, man, they're just mountain goats. And Mm -hmm. uh, I give up trying to keep up with them. Tell you the truth, they just just outwalk me. And so, you know, it's helped me to resign myself to that fact that these guys are going to outwalk me. And so I'll just let them get to the tree first. (laughs) They'll take care of things until I get there, you know. But, uh, yeah, uh, I hunt with some guys that really take that seriously. Steve Sherrock and Joe Hyde, yeah, in particular, yeah, mm-hmm. tough to keep up with, but good guys to hunt with, I will tell you what uh, so
2: well let's uh, let's talk about...
0: is something you don't want to overlook, especially if we're western hunting. Um I, I i I saw a video of a guy on a coon hunt back east someplace, you know, and then his dogs would treat a tree to coon eight hundred yards out, and it appeared to me that that was like remarkable, you know that they were eight hundred yards out on this coon. Uh-huh. And, and I'm not, I'm not familiar with what, with what that really means in the coon hunting world, you know, where he is, but, um, 800 yards would be a pop-up here. Of course, you know, we, we don't measure them in yards. We measure them in miles and it's generally double digits. Um, as far as a race, you know, maybe right. not just what you're going to walk, but right, um, right. Yeah. right. So typically bear hunting can stretch you out pretty good. And yeah. The long
1: the longest one. bear race that i've been on back east here was with evan workman over in in uh, west virginia and by the end of the day when we we the bear actually had crossed the road in front of us later on in the day and at that point we'd already put in 20 miles on that bear race so oh, man.
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: but yeah you bring up a really good point there kevin and we used to do something on our social media uh, platforms called fat boy friday And it would be, Uh you know, it would be uh, throwing down the challenge of uh, getting out there and keeping yourself prepared. And I think it's something that is so commonly overlooked by uh, sportsmen in general and houndsmen specifically that part of being a good hunting partner is being prepared because when I've got to stop and take care of you because you didn't do your due diligence to get ready for bear season or for coon season or whatever, you know, now I'm, I'm, I always looked at it this way when I worked, uh, for the state, one of the main causes of hunting related injuries was something as simple as failing to wear your, your safety belt in a tree stand tree stand falls were oh, the number, uh-huh. n- number one, cause of energy in- and in- injury and in hunting it still is so well wow. i used to tell people you know and i told my friends this you know i don't wear i don't wear a safety belt and that's what they would tell me why not well it's too uncomfortable well it's not nearly as uncomfortable yeah. as inconvenience well. 20 people which are all volunteer firemen usually that come out to yeah. have to that have to haul your fat butt out of a deep holler to, and put you on an, on a helicopter. How how many people are you inconveniencing at that point? So that's, that's the message I always have for people. And you can't avoid everything. I mean, accidents are going to happen, but just a little bit of preparation, a few times a week can make a world of difference, not only in, in, um, from that aspect, but also for you to be able to enjoy the hunt.
0: Right. Yeah. So what happens there, guys? You, they just lose their balance, or they fall asleep, or they stand up to stretch, and they and they just have a busy moment, or or what? Oh, Start just a
1: out? yeah, just a variety of things. I mean, it could be a yeah, a, an, a, a tree yeah. stand failure. Uh, it could oh, be a uh-huh. you know, people say, well, if my tree stand starts to fall, I'm going to jump. Well. Yeah. That that doesn't happen because you can't you can't react fast enough to to jump no. off that that platform, so you're going to fall. And um yeah. So so a lot of times it was things like that, you know, and it wasn't due to manufacture. It's usually due to negligence for keeping their maintenance on their tree stands and and things like that, which is what caused that failure. Rusted cables, like rusted yeah. cable breaks, you know, something like that. But um uh, you know, the point is We can enjoy our hunts a lot more, have more peace of mind, if we take a little time and get ourselves in shape as well.
0: As houndsmen, we share very unique needs when we make a decision to relocate, especially when it comes to finding a hound-friendly environment in which to live. REMAX Hall of Fame realtor Evan Harrell is a houndsman himself, and he and his team understand your relocation needs as no one else can. With so many things to consider before you move, Evan can help you find just the right location anywhere in the country whenever you decide to go and will even help with the process of selling your present home. And Steve,
1: Remax Elite Realty is based in Franklin, North Carolina. Evan Harrell specializes in residential sales and especially in helping people like us to relocate to the locations we choose anywhere in the United States. RE-MAX has been the leader in residential transactions since 1999 and rated the number one brand in real estate. Evan has been named top producer four years in a row and Chairman's Club recipient in 2018. Contact Evan online at evanharrell.com or give him a call at 828-371-5103. You and your hounds will be glad you did.
0: Right. Yeah. And one more thing on that would be like having enough gear to spend the night out. And when I'm setting up my backpack, I kind of just limit it to that. What, what would I need if I had to spend the night out? And it doesn't take a whole lot, but just a little bit of survival gear, you know, a couple of space blankets and some parachute cord to tie things off with, And you know, and of course knives and maybe a small saw or something and fire mm-hmm. starter kit, of course, you know, and extra batteries you know, flashlights and headlamps and whatnot, just and enough, just, you know, candy bars or, or whatever, just um, spend one night out. And if you've got enough to spend one night out, you're probably going to be okay.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and my, what is it? My that? friend, Steve, always, uh, he says, you know, you pack way too much stuff. And and he says, but if I ever had to spend a night out, I'd want to be with you. <laughs> so I take it as a compliment, right? Yeah. yeah. So, Yeah. So, so
1: what does that good. pack? At, but, what does uh, that pack typically weigh, Kevin? I mean, when you're when you're when you pack your pack, what do you think that weighs?
0: Depends, on, depends on how much water I put in it, you know. But I try to keep it around fifteen pounds or less. Which, That's nothing. Which isn't a lot. No, no, it's nothing. No, it's not a lot. No, you don't need a lot. Depends on the weather, you know, mm-hmm. what time of year it is and stuff. But no, it's not a lot. <clears throat> You end up with more gear than anything. I mean, anymore, you have like a radio and a Garmin and, and your phone. And, and maybe if your shocking system is on a on a different system than the Alpha, you know, gosh, you end up with all these gadgets.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it, it's quite a bit just to manage pack and all that. At one time, I had like this tactical vest that had pockets for everything. And uh, it actually was pretty handy because as long as I had my vest, I had everything in it. And I could do a quick assessment, you know, by looking at my pockets to see if I had everything I needed you know, and if my pockets were all full, I was good to go. You know, I wasn't forgetting anything. Mm -hmm. So it was actually pretty handy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so as far as getting ready for bear season, that's about it. You know, uh, especially if you're just hunting places you've already hunted before, maybe if it's somebody that's um, hunting a new area, then there's going to be some scouting involved, you know, and getting familiar with the road management, um, uh, regulations from the Forest Service, you know, to see what roads you can use and what, what ones you can't or what trails you can use, basic things like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: So tell us, tell. let's shift gears a little bit. Let's get into okay. uh, the the bear dogs that you're hunting, your plots. Uh, and I don't know why we keep, we keep digging up plot guys. I guess it's because we're all stubborn and hard-headed and like-minded. I don't know. But uh, it seems like uh, we, don't have any, we don't have any shortage of, of guests that that are running plots. And maybe there's yeah. a reason for that. But uh, just in general, what, in your opinion, makes a good bear dog for where you're at?
0: Well, if you're talking about a good bear dog, let's talk about like the avatar dog, like the, the best dog you ever had or what your ideal dog would be. What'd you call um, them? What'd you call them? The avatar, your avatar. Yeah. It would be like your target, your target bear dog. You know, the, what you're trying to achieve maybe with your program,
2: uh-huh. you know,
0: or, or your goal or the epitome of what a bear dog is. It mm-hmm. would be like your avatar bear yeah. dog. So. I like that. It all goes back to the, goes back to the ABCs of breeding, you know, um, ability, brains and confirmation. Uh, so in, as far as the ability of a dog, I'd say the, the number one trait would be drive. Um, just a run-to-catch attitude and determination because it's, it's one thing for a dog to follow a track, and it's a whole other thing for a dog to run to catch. And when you've seen it, you know it, there, there's a difference. You know, when that dog smells a bear and he's thinking about that bear at the other end of that track already, and he wants to go get it. He's not just following along. He wants to go get it. And um, so the run to catch attitude and determination is a big thing. Um, you know, a, a never quit attitude is good, but um, there's times when a dog needs to know when to quit as well. A little, a little different subject. But um, the dog's going to need speed. It's going to be able to have to be able to run fast and have fast track speed when needed. Um, now, of course, if you're working out a cold track, you know, the speed, the tracking speed of the dog is all going to be dependent upon the track that he's got to work with. You know, a cold track, he's going to have to plug it out, you know, and sort it out until it gets going fast. But once it gets going fast, once the bear's up and running, the dog needs to be fast and have fast track speed. And mm-hmm. he's smart enough to be able to drift the track, you know, and not have to run it, you know, print for print. He's got right. to just run the air currents and maybe figure out the shortcut. And, um, if he makes a lose quick to pick it back up, um, speed is a big thing in bears. Um, um, and a, and a lot of Walker guys, uh, do well because their dogs are fast. They're, mm-hmm. they're fast. You know, they, that that's a, there's a strong trait of their breed and, uh, and, uh, and they catch bears with speed. Right. Um, so, so that's, that's definitely, um, you know, a thing a dog needs. Um, and then I'll put endurance because, like you said on that, that track, you'd already worked it out for 20 miles. Um, the dog needs an incredible endurance. So, you know, he, he needs to be an extreme athlete and just have the tenacity to stay with it for a long, long time, knowing that if he stays with it long enough in the end, you know, he'll have the outcome that he's looking for. Um, and not all dogs are born with that. You know, that's a breeding trait. And then, um, lastly, I'll put nose. You know, nose is not the biggest thing about a bear dog uh, because, you know, when a bear's up and running, he's leaving a lot of scent. Nose mm-hmm. is not the do-all and end-all of a, of, of a bear dog. Now, of course, the better nose a dog has, you know, that's always a good thing, um, especially when you get into a striking, you know, or, or working a cold track off a bait or cold trailing a bear, you know, nose is always a good thing. But it's not everything in a, in a, in a bear dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh. and then the dog needs to have brains, you know, um, getting hey, be,
1: be, before we leave nose, I mm-hmm. want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. You okay. know, one of the, one of the messages we got, I got recently is how do I evaluate the nose? And, mm. and I, I want to yeah. get, I want to get, I want to get your, your opinion on that and then i'll i'll give my opinion on nose and and how that thing works
0: well i'll work it around a story because it uh it's all dependent upon the conditions for bear hunting um we caught a bear one morning and we usually start you know early like 5 a.m and this was summertime so it was probably july so it probably hadn't rained since like may you know so now things have dried out and you're getting 90 degree days and it's it's dry and dusty in the woods and um um, we started a bear off a of bait and there was a camera on the bait. And so we knew the bear had been there around midnight and, um, you know, he took it out a little slow at first and then picked it up. And anyway, we ran a cocky bear. Um, it was fairly close to a road and, uh, pulled off of that tree. And there's still time left before it gets too hot to go and see if we can find another one. So we drive around and check our other baits and our striking roads and whatnot. And we didn't turn anything else up, you know? And so now an hour and a half has gone by And we decided, well, there's a bear in a tree right next to the road back down there. Let's go back and check on that one and see if it left, and we'll just run that one again. And so we went back to it. So now it's like two hours since we left that tree. And of course, Mm -hmm. the bear's gone. But now it's about 11 o'clock in the morning. You know, and sometime after 10, it starts to get hot, you know, that time of year. It's near 90-degree days. So it's hot. And uh, we turned loose on it, and the dogs couldn't run it. They couldn't run it. Same dog. (laughs) Now, there's going to be detractors out there that are going to say, well, those dogs don't have any nose at all. But they do. You know, they do. It was just the conditions were such and the temperature and the humidity. And but that's just what happened, you know. So um, did those dogs lose their nose, you know, through the course of the morning? <laughs> uh, the, but the conditions changed. And so trying to evaluate a nose is just that tough. It's really tough to do. So... Um, that's my take on it so what's yours
2: well
1: you know being a canine handler for nine years and being able to test dogs in different condition we would set them up we would set them up to check failure levels and I know houndsmen have done the same thing ours was just more of a controlled setting we knew how old those tracks were and different things like that but People try to evaluate the dog dog sending ability based totally on the physiological aspects of the dog. They don't mm-hmm. oftentimes they don't consider uh, humidity. They don't consider the houndsmen are, are really good about, you know, knowing wind directions and things like that. Uh, as as that is just basic woodsmanship. Um but when you start figuring in where's the sun at in the sky because if the sun is directly hitting the ground then it's going to make the the scent less palatable for any dog i don't care i don't care what caliber of dog you're hunting it's going to be there it's it's going to diminish their ability to find that track so then a dog's got to rely on the thing that you've already talked about is brains. You know, okay, I can still smell this. How much desire do I have to follow this particular scent scent trail at this point? So you've got brains, you've got desire, you've got a lot of other things. There's some dogs out there that they will track on the most minute scent and take that, and then you have other dogs that that um, are like they're smart enough to know that. I'm not going to be able to treat this. They can they can still smell trace amounts of it there. It's just physically impossible. Uh, but it's just a level of your dog's desire. So it's to to sit there and say, you know, my dog doesn't have nose. Well, you look at you look at the 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 diagram of a dog's nose. I guarantee you, if if we took the skulls of of different dogs or we did some kind of scientific and it's been done the scientific diagram of the makeup of a dog there isn't enough noticeable difference in one hound to another so there's something else in there that's that is affecting their ability to follow that track and and so we don't we don't look in, enough at the environmental effects that affect that track oftentimes when we're judging the nose that's my take on it and i also think that that if i bring an eastern a dog from the east and i put them out there in the conditions that i've hunted in in arizona or south texas or idaho or montana it takes them a while to reset that thinking that hey this is what a bear smells like or this is what a coon smells like here and so it takes them takes them a little bit of time to adjust to that and if you've got a top dog they'll they'll figure that out and and, right. But some, but sometimes, like in your, your analogy there, sometimes you're just wasting time. You know, you've got dogs, you know you've got top dogs and, and things like that, and, and then your detractors will say, well, they don't have enough have enough nose. And it seems especially, if you shared that story on social media, you know, you'd yeah. get. Oh, yeah, you'd get, you you'd get f- up over it. You get 10 people or 50 people that jump in and say, well, my God, my dog will follow that. You know, I've ran tracks like that. Well, not in that particular situation. You have not.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it's like when you were out here, you know, we were talking about, you know, I I don't care if my dog takes a two-day-old line track because I don't want to be two days behind the lion. You know, (laughs) my whole weekend chasing one cat that I might catch or I might not, you know, so if he can't run that track, I'm okay with that. Right. We just accept it and go find another track.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things that we've we've adjusted our hunting styles to our current lifestyle. You know, I know that yeah. you Yeah you've got a job, I've got a job. And unless it's our job to catch that track and we can follow that track for two days and camp on it and keep moving on it, you know, that's just not not feasible for for most hunters out there right now there's some that still do it van johnson that we just had on the podcast you know he talked about yeah. and in his book he talks about you know camping on those tracks ben Lilly and yeah. dale lee but that's what they did for a living you know and they didn't have a right. you know
0: right
1: it's just a different situation
0: yeah. right right yeah i admire guys that are, they're able to do that i've never done it but. yeah That'd be a whole whole whole, another level there. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. quite a commitment.
1: Yeah, Brett Vaughn talked about. You know, he's done it in the past down there where he's at in Las Cruces. So there's a lot of people that are doing that, but a lot of us just don't don't have the the ability to be able to do that, and we want to optimize. We want to optimize every chase. We want to put our dogs on as many chases as they can be on, so I can spend 7 hours trying to figure this one out or I can drive another half hour and find one that 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 I can be more effective in running.
2: Right. Mhm. Yep. What do
1: you th- what do you think that does to our what do you think that does to our dogs and our breeding programs? It's kind of a side note. When we consistently well, drive around
0: and look for those kind of tracks for the hotter tracks, mm-hmm. well, you're probably going to end up breeding a hotter-nosed dog over time, if that's your primary consideration. Um, and I know one uh, bloodline of plot in particular that um, the guy uh, pretty much abandoned nose. You know, he didn't abandon it entirely, but he he had no care or uh, focus, really, for cold-trailing bear dogs. He wanted to rig a super-hot blocks-blower you know, bear rig and, and have jumped the bear right there. and put pressure on it. And he had dogs that were extremely aggressive and gritty. Um, but they didn't have, you know, uh, um, his emphasis was not on those. And over time, it kind of changed the whole uh, bloodline, you know, associated with that particular guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even to this day, you know, when you see that, that name show on a pedigree, you know, that's, that's what I think when I see it is that, you know, probably an aggressive dog, you know, um, gritty dog you know a good tree dog but maybe not a super good cold trailing dog Mm -hmm. so so yeah i definitely think that it would it would have an effect there's an advantage there to to uh to breeding a multi-purpose dog to you know a dog that you're hunting lions with and hunting bears with now this this particular program with this guy he's just a bear hunter not just a bear hunter i don't mean to belittle that in any way right he primarily is a bear hunter you know and doesn't Um, Focus on cats at all, and so you know those dogs suit his needs, you know, and so it's it's perfect for him. Um, For me, I need my dogs to do multi-purpose work, both lions and bears, and so I'm always going to be looking for a dog, you know, with a really good nose and superior trailing ability, you know, Mm -hmm. to meet that end. So. So, you know. So I have, you're, I have a question about that yeah, before we move on. It can, it can change a breed. It can change a line of dogs if that's all you're focusing on. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, the, so, so when hunting has changed, you know, a out. Yeah. Right.
1: Right.
2: Yeah.
1: So I have a question pertaining to to something you you said there just a second ago. Do you? And you're talking about you're hunting your dogs on lion and on bear. Do you see any is there a transition period? You're coming to the end of lion season. Your your uh, uh bears are gonna be out walking around here in a couple weeks. And uh do you see a do the do you have to pump the brakes? Those dogs have to pump the brakes a little bit to to adjust to bear?
0: When you go from lion to bear, that's an easy transition because generally the there's more scent with the bear. That, that transition is easy. It's at the other end of the year. It's in the fall when you're going from bears to lions that you kind of get the shift to where the, you kind of need your dogs to slow down a little bit. I've, I've had a lot of dogs who just flat over on lion tracks, you know, you, so they smell it and you turn them loose on it. And they just take off at full speed, you know, like, like, like you just dumped them off the road, you know, feeding <laughs> it the and they just run right over the track. And uh, like, it wasn't even there, you know, with no regard for the track, they're just out running. And, uh, they they don't really make it as lion dogs. Their their mindset isn't right for for being a, a track dog, you know, a, like a lion track dog. You know, so <clears throat> we don't we don't really include those in our breeding program anymore. But 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 to shift from lions to bears now that's easy. That's just a, that's an easy one.
2: That's quick.
0: Mm-hmm. They, and the dogs just love to run bears. You know, that's and one thing about a bear dog they just love it. Um, you can tell they're excited, and when they hit that scent, they just they just go ballistic. They want to do it. They love to run bears. Maybe it's because it's easier for them to chase because there's um, more scent, you know. And maybe it's just because they know at the other end there's more excitement. There's excitement at the end of the berries, you know. And dogs that thrive on that, you know, and live for that, yeah. Those are the those are the good ones. Those are the ones you want. Warriors. So that's yeah. So it's easy to make the transition in the spring. In the fall, it's a little bit different. Right. But anyway, we're, we're talking about the brains and getting a, a track going the right direction, and that might seem like a real basic thing, but oftentimes it doesn't happen that way. Now, if you've, if you've seen a track on the ground or you saw a bear cross the road or across the hillside, you can get it going the right way pretty easy. But when you're just rigging one,
2: mm-hmm. you know, a
0: dog or coming off of a bait where the bears have been in and out of the bait maybe several times, or there's multiple bears in and out of the same bait, Mm -hmm. Um, so you got both tracks coming in and out. You got to have a dog that can sort all that out and get the right track going in the right direction to be successful. Those darn bears are hard enough to catch running forwards. You know, you don't don't need to be running them backwards.
1: So how do you, how do you overcome that? Uh,
2: You
0: just got to have the right dog. There's not much you can do in that situation. You know, um, you can you can as far as starting off a bait you just need a dog that that learns how to do it it just picks it up and then you trust your dog you know as far as a, a strike you know you might be able to see a track on the road and help them out with it but it's mostly just the instinct of the dog it tells them which way it's going if it was with nothing else to go by
1: you know john john wick in his famous book tree dog encyclopedia i think if i recall correctly he said there were two things that and this he's a he's a world renowned coonhound trainer wrote a book and it's it's been the bible for uh houndsmen for for since it was published but uh, john wick says that there were two traits that he was never able to overcome uh two faults and one is backtracking and one is aggressive tree dogs
0: uh huh
1: what do you, do you agree with that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To this day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that brings <laughs> some validity to what
0: you say. Kind of, yeah. And some dogs sometimes prefer a backtrack for some reason. They get it in their head for whatever reason that they'd rather go that way. And, and, and once they do, once they're locked into that, you you have a hard time getting them off of it. Yeah. I had to track them up across the road and, uh, came across the road and it was going up the hill and I, I took a couple of dogs and turned loose on, well, three all together and put them all on the track going up the hill and they went up 50 yards or so and the, the two females came back on it right on the track, you know, and crossed the road and, and I, uh, I didn't get them caught, you know, and so they, they hit the track going down, you know, back off the road on to the other side and they were backtracking it hot. You know, and I had to shock him off of it because I couldn't, I couldn't call him off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I got him back to the track and started him forward again. And they did the same thing. They ran up the hill for a way, so they stopped and they turned around and they were bound and determined to run it the other way.
1: What time uh, of day was it?
0: <clears throat> well, it was mid morning. So but, thermal, thermals uh, are moving. Uh-huh. The third you dog, said- Actually, he was a pup at the time and he took the track the whole way. He actually caught it. He took the track the whole way the correct way by himself and caught the bear. Uh, the right way now what was the difference between the dogs i don't know i don't know but there was so something you, about conditions that day
1: so you've got thermals rising throughout you know throughout the day in the mornings i'm just wondering i'm just analyzing the right. situation yeah. here yeah. so yeah. so those thermals are carrying that yeah the thermals are carrying that that scent up the mountain you said the track was going uphill and so yeah
0: i'm trying to think of it. Um, the, the road was adjacent to a creek, so the bear just crossed the creek and then crossed the road and then went up the hill. Mm-hmm. So as it's coming up out of the creek, it's wet, you know, so it's probably leaving more scent, you know, initially because it's dripping water off of it. So it right. worked, smelled stronger if they went back to, toward the creek than if they yeah. went up the dry hillside. Yeah. So that was it. Yeah. That was Interesting it. Interesting stuff. Yeah. And the next day, going down a different road, those dogs rigged hard. And I turned them loose and they went running straight down the road for about 400 yards and treat a bear just right there. So they had enough nose to rig a bear from 400 yards away. Yeah. But you know, the day before they struggled with getting one going the right direction. You Just know? <laughs> so think things about the dog sports and bear hunting in particular, it's just all those things that you observe along the way, you know, and and that make you think and make you wonder and, Uh, make it interesting make you frustrated you know frustrated there you go yeah it's just part of it you know it's just part of it you know and the um and it's okay to be frustrated just don't get mad you know because it's just part of it you know and i've been doing it for 40 some odd years and it still happens to me so if you're a you know a newer guy getting started and you're running into these same things that's just how it is (laughs) because it's how it goes you know that's so it makes it interesting, actually, because every day is going to be something a little different. My buddies, um, we all like to get together after a race, you know, and we reconstruct. Right. Well, just, and sometimes that conversation goes on for quite a while, you know. And the more dogs involved and the more things that happen, and the further it went, you know, the more of a reconstruction has to happen. And a lot of times it's a little brainstorming session to where you, you know, compile information that each person has into one Cluster and you figure out, you know, the most logical explanation of how we caught this bear this day, you know, and what the bear was doing and what the bear was thinking, and you know, and what happened. And those are always pretty interesting conversations. That's sure, always fun to do. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that that goes into my next topic. I was going to ask you about is, uh, you know, a new bear hunter, somebody that that is just uh starting. You know, maybe got a season or two under their belt. They're they're they've had a little bit of a success, but, but they've also felt some frustrations. And so what advice do you give, give to our, our audience or people who may be wanting to start bear hunting with hounds?
0: I'd say you need to listen to Houndsman XT every Sunday. (laughs) Thank you. And you'll get everything you need. Yeah. You'll get everything you need out of that. No, um, (laughs) a shameless plug there. Right. Um, uh, just to stick with it. You know, you just got to stick with it. Hopefully you've, you've got some friends that you can go with and some buddies, and maybe you've hooked up with somebody that's, you know, that's been successful and able to catch some game to help get your dogs going in the right direction and just stick with it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the main thing. And have fun. Just enjoy the process. You know, try not to get too um, frustrated and upset when things don't go well because we all do. Mm-hmm. I have to recalibrate myself all the time too. You know, not every dog is perfect, and not every day goes well, and uh, and that's just part of it. And um, you know, the 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 quicker you humble yourself to the fact that you don't have the best dogs, the more fun you're going to have because it takes a lot of Wonderful. pressure
1: off. Wonderful advice right there. I and I was I was
0: going yeah. yeah.
1: I was going to add that myself. Yeah, you don't
0: have to have the best dogs. Yeah. yeah,
1: I was I was going to add That's that awesome. myself, Kevin. You just Kevin. have to
0: enjoy oh. what you're doing. Yeah, I
1: think we have got a little bit of delay because here.
0: It's always going to be somebody. Oh, it's going to be somebody with a better dog or a colder nosed dog or better looking dog. There's, it's always that. So, right. really hunt that. just enjoy what you got. Yeah, H- hunt, hunt with and, people and, that hunt with people
1: that'll be honest with you too. You know, don't you got to hunt with people that are going to be honest and and. Listen to that. Like you said, show some humility if you're new getting into it. And and I still consider myself the rookie when I go in and hunt different places because I don't have bears right here. So I'm usually a guest wherever I go. And uh, I've resigned myself that that um, I'm not going to have the best dogs out there. And if somebody says, hey, I don't think, think your dogs can handle this, then we'll try to get them worked in later. Say, okay. And and learn yeah. from those guys.
0: Well, and, from them. and that process never ends. The learning curve never really ends because um, there's oftentimes if you're hunting with somebody that's newer to the sport, they make an observation just off the tip of their tongue that hits the nail on the head, and that might be something you never thought about. But because they're coming into it from a different perspective and a different background, hmm. observe something and uh, that you can learn from. You know, so. Yeah, you you never want to think you've got it all figured out because the next bear race will um, prove you wrong.
1: Right. Right.
0: You know, that's well, hey, that's something for everybody. Yeah.
1: Tell us a tell us a good bear hunting story, Kevin.
0: A good bear hunting story. Yeah, you uh, said you, in our pre-show I'll go back you my, Go ahead. My first bear hunt, you know, I I started uh, my dad had hounds and he wanted to be a lion hunter. He never did get into bear hunting, but uh, I, I wanted to. And so he hooked me up with some guys from the club, a guy named uh, Ernie Fox and his brother Zeke. And uh, they took me out quite a bit. And they were, they were pretty good back at, at the time. Now, this is about 1975, and uh, uh, the introduction to the, to the bear hunters was quite, um, quite a shock for me, coming from a real conservative family it, it um they were a little um shall we say rougher around the edges than than what i had been used to you know <laughs> and i loved that it. it was great these were great guys you know big burly guys bearded guys rough guys um i had a great time with them and they were just wonderful with me but we lost our dogs all the time one of the problems and this is before tracking systems and we would lose our dogs every time you know within 30 minutes it went from following the dogs to just wild guesses as to where they might have gone, you know, so they actually shifted to hunting at night quite a bit or, or late evenings to try to catch a bear coming into the bay and get it going red hot. So at least mm-hmm. they could be on something red hot. But, uh, I was with them. All oh, these, these guys were fun. They had uh of course in that era, their trucks were all the, you know, late sixties and early seventies F two fifties and, you know, the big GMCs and stuff, big three quarter ton trucks with, you know, headers and, you know, lift kits and things like that, you know, old beers, right. you know, um, but it was fun. And, uh, and of course it was before four wheelers or these side-by-sides or anything were ever thought of sort of. And, and so everything was, was out of these pickups and beating around on these trucks. But one day, um, we caught a bear and, uh, uh, I look back on it now and it was actually a pop-up race and and for those guys that's about how they were going to catch they either got a pop-up or they didn't get anything at all mm-hmm. um, but uh, they caught one and uh, Zeke wanted to shoot it so Zeke pulls out this this Ruger Blackhawk 44 Magna you know one of the longer barreled ones and I'd never seen one of those before and that <laughs> pretty western you know and he zeroes off on this bear and you know bam bam a couple of times you know and out comes the bear I've never seen anything like that so I'm pretty wide-eyed and uh and uh this was just this is about as exciting as it gets you know with the gun smoke drifting through the air and and the dogs barking and the bear and everything and uh um I'm looking at the bear and old pulls out a cigarette you know and he's having a cigarette you know and he catches me looking at him and he says you want one And I said, yeah, you know, that day, you know, and man, I, I, I was there, man. I was a bear hunter now, you know, (laughs) these guys in these big trucks, they caught a bear and they shot this big gun and now I'm having a cigarette. And that was just, uh, that was quite, uh, exposure to adulthood for me, you know? Uh, yeah, you know, fortunately the smoking phase didn't last long, but,
2: uh,
0: but, uh, it's a day I remember, you know? You know, and I tell people, you know, you know, somebody will post a picture, you know, that, hey, I caught, this person caught their first bear, you know, or uh, shot their first bear today, you know, and I'll always tell them that, um, you know, there's a lot of days in life that come and go, but you'll never forget the day you shot your first bear. And, and that's just true. Universally, you'll never forget that. And that one day up there with Ernie and Zeke's a day I'll never forget. But uh, I appreciate what those guys did for me. They got me, they got me started on all that and, I've got good memories of that. That was a lot of fun.
1: Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. So was it a, yeah. was it a was it a lucky strike or was it a camel stud?
0: I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a secret. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't really make much difference. Yeah. It was a legal one.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Well Kevin Kevin yeah. uh a lot of fun.
1: we we'll, we'll uh we're gonna continue with uh, other series in our, our bear hunting month of March here. Tell us what's going on at Dogs Our Treated.
0: Well, at Dogs Are Treat things are going well. Gosh, the, our customer base has just been fantastic. Um, we've been getting quite a bit of product out the door, and we try to get it out, you know, the same day or the next day when an order comes in, and um, it's really amazing. Most of the orders are from people that, we don't know, and they come in from all over the country. We've even shipped all over the world. We've shipped to Spain and Mexico even. So it's really doing quite well. Um, nice. We've got a good base on the uh, Dogs Retreat group. We had a Dogs Retreat business page, but we started. It, but you're limited to 5,000 members on a business page. So we, we started a Dogs Retreat group. Mm-hmm. And of course, the group can grow mm-hmm big as it as big as it can go so we encourage people to the dogs or treat group um nancy and i are working on a new product that um, not quite ready to make an announcement on yet but we will be shortly so you can look forward to that I'm excited about that that's uh, the reason i'm getting behind on this long walker story is because we've been busy with other things so i went back and I started reposting some of the old original chapters and uh chapter one and chapter two and and I, I gotta do chapter three because that's uh that completes chapter two that's the story about the NAF store and what happens when these two hunters drag their cat into the store to thaw it out so that they can skin it that's a pretty good one yeah um, next next time i'm so out there are going we're going well to get there. a NAF burger yeah things are good you get a NAF burger
2: Yeah, that building
0: still stands. It's not open anymore, but it does still stand.
2: Yeah.
0: But um, while we're on here, we'd like to maybe do a a promo code with you again, like we did before. We had a lot of fun with that. Um, So we could do, um, like, for the month of March, all sales for the month of March, we could donate 10% to the Houndsman XP podcast.
1: Man, that's great
0: to help to help you guys out that's awesome so we really appreciate it so um so um you know we really don't even need a promo code for that if we're going to do all sales then there's no point in even doing a promo code we can just advertise it as such the promo code would just make it more complicated for people to you know to plug into their cart into their checkout but so we can just do all sales for the month of march that 10 percent would go to houndsman xp
1: that's awesome, Kevin. That yeah, worked I re- out
0: good last time.
1: Yeah, tell Nancy I really appreciate that. And uh, if she's listening, we love Dogs Are Treed. So tell us where we can find you on social media platforms, where people can come and find you guys.
0: Dogs Are Treed, there's um, our, our website for our sales site is www.dogsaretreed.com. And then there's a Facebook group, Dogs Are Treed. And it's uh, Dogs or Treat on Instagram as well, so yep. for places. But if you want to purchase something, the website is the best place to go. You can buy off of the Facebook business page, but it only lets you purchase one item at a time, and so that that doesn't work as nearly as well as what the website does. com. And there's Great. T-shirts and hoodies and stickers. We've got a Dogs of Treat sticker with a bear on it and a long walker mountain lion and one with a raccoon and one with a bobcat, bobcat.
1: New bobcat.
0: New bobcat. Mm hmm. Yep. And those are pretty sharp. And, yep. Uh, Nancy's been doing some mugs with the Dogs of Treat on a coffee mug. And she started doing some license plates for their license plate holders. So there's like 19 states that allow. That don't require a front license plate, and so you could put something custom on. Mm-hmm. And um, she sold several of those, and, and those look pretty cool. Yeah, they look pretty cool as well.
1: So I'll just uh, so that's uh, where I'll you just, can find us. I'll just put a plug in there for Dogs r and and especially for you and Kevin, Ke- uh, for you and Nancy, Kevin. Um, you know, we are are this houndsman thing that we do this hound hunting thing we do is a lifestyle and dogs are treat is a perfect lifestyle brand for for houndsmen out there and you can order all that stuff and uh, beanies and hats and breed specific hats and and all kinds of gear there that you can show off this lifestyle that we're all living and support a great company through dogs are treat so somebody that's out there hunting and contributing to the, the lifestyle that we all, we all love so much. And, um, so I would recommend and that any of our listeners that are looking for shirts, hoodies, things like that, to make sure they go to dogs are treed and check out what you got.
0: All right. Appreciate that.
1: Yeah. You got any closing thoughts you want to throw in here before we sign off?
0: Stick with it, guys. Bear season's around the corner. Days are going to get longer. Days are going to be warmer. You'll be camping. You'll be bear hunting. Good times ahead. Look forward. Yeah.
1: It. Yep, it's going to be a get good those time. Those in
0: shape. There get you those go. In shape and toughen up their feet. <laughs> 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 hint, hint. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Hint.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah.
1: I'll just leave us with this, Kevin, you know, I'm going to get back out there, hopefully this spring and, and, uh, you know, my dogs will be in shape, but they're going to have to take a little bit of time to adjust to that, those sending conditions in Idaho. So if we, if we hit this bear track and we end up splitting, splitting this race as our other host and old friend, Steve Fielder says, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine.